A stu stu Studio D production. Later. Did you just sniff it? It smells like when electronics get hot. That weird burny smell, but only the... That's what Kelly's breath smells I like. I was just wondering <laughs> that because Kelly was sitting here last and I was yeah. wondering if this was like residual Kelly smell. Do you want? I almost dumped this entire thing of coffee over myself. I had two ideas for a cold open, but I forgot one of them. So I have one idea for a cold open. What is it? All right. Opinions. Sit down. I want to tell you a story. A really weird and messed up story. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Effed Up Family Storytime. I'm Salem. And I'm Hannah. And here today we have Jess. Hello. And Belle. Hey. Yeah. Welcome, guys. How's everyone doing? Good. I always hate the way I say hi after you introduce me. That's how I'm doing right now. (laughs) (laughs) That anxiety. (laughs) Criticizing self-criticism. It's a constant for, I think, our whole family. For all of us. Yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Which is for funny. any artistic person. It's at funny all. that we choose to do this then and share it with the entire world. And we self-criticize ourselves. Isn't that the way more than other people? Eternal do. artist yeah. struggle. Yeah. yeah. Right. The creative struggle. Overly critical, but you share it all with the world anyway. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so we're here recording our 38th episode. Wow. Yeah. We are back in the studio. Two episodes in a row. We are loving it. So I think I just had my headphones on backwards. That shouldn't make that much difference. No, it should. But it really did. (laughs) Maybe, maybe one of your ears is deafer than the other or something. And I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you've like worn a groove. Maybe you come out of one of the ears and that was the wrong ear to put your (laughs) headphones on. I don't know. I just had this stupid vision of me crawling out of an ear. (laughs) (laughs) Naked. Like I'm being being born. I've had earaches that feel like something like that's going to happen to me before though. I had a coworker who went to the doctor because she was having like earaches and she found out she had a bug in her ear that had been Ew! there for two years. Don't yeah! tell stories like that because I hate them. It's so gross. I know. I, I had I'm I've, sorry. Everything I feel in my ear, I think, is a bug. I had a bug in my ear once. <laughs> I've told you that story. We were sleeping in the camper in Granny's trailer. We had a bunch of people at the house out in Kansas. And um, I like woke up in the middle of the night and I was hearing this. <laughs> And I was like, what? What the hell? And it totally, the sound totally makes me think of, which you guys probably won't remember, like, know what I'm talking about. But the last Starfighter, when he hears that weird noise and he takes his head off to fix his ear, that's what it sounded like. That. And I was like, what? I went in and I woke up Granny and I was like, there's something in my ear. There's something in my ear. And I could feel it in there. And so she just flushed flushed it out with water and it came out or it died one or the other but we never saw it she never saw it but i think it was probably just like a little gnat or something because it sounds so loud it was so loud and so then i slept with cotton balls in my ear for like a solid year (laughs) (laughs) all right um so before i even start 
All right. Well, I'm going to get the boring stuff out of the way and talk about my sources. Um, So my primary source, actually, what sparked my interest in this story was a book that I discovered at the library um, called Elliot Ness and the Mad Butcher by Max Allen Collins and A. Brad Schwartz. Um, And then I also utilized the Case Western Reserve University's Encyclopedia of Cleveland online, and that's just case.edu. And then because... One thing you can always count on for Wikipedia is a chronological list of things. And so I did use that to make sure I had all the information in the right order. All right. Thanks, Wikipedia. Everyone donate to Wikipedia. Yes. The publicly funded thing that all of us use all the time. Exactly. And it's free. So let's help it out, Sponsor me, Wikipedia. That's right. (laughs) This episode brought to you by Wikipedia. Wikipedia. Not because they paid us, but just because we (laughs) like what they do. (laughs) All right. So today I want to tell you the story of the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Ooh. So this killer tormented the less fortunate of Cleveland, Ohio, from 1934 to 1938. Um, the killer had other names like the Torso Murderer. Oh, not to be confused with the Times Square Torso Killer in the 70s. I know the story. Okay, good. <laughs> and the Headhunter, which I thought was funny, and you'll understand why. In a minute. This was in the midst of the Great Depression, right? Yes. Great. Yep. Just trying to get my timeline straight. I don't know anything. (laughs) (laughs) But the uh, Mad Butcher name was by far the most popular, and I like it a lot, too. Although I did throw around in my head the idea that maybe he should have been called the Mad Butcher of Cleveland. (laughs) 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 So I got to interrupt and say that I'm Jesse's second. And I seriously thought this whole time you were doing a story on Elliot Ness. And you just wanted me to look up stuff for you after Al Capone is just like, side notes. I did not realize that that was (laughs) the story. I would have done like different research. I'm sorry. No, but your research was very helpful, actually. Okay. Okay. It was what I needed. Okay. Um, All right. So, speaking of Elliot Ness, at the time that the butcher um, was, or at least we began discovering that he was killing people, um, Elliot Ness was uh, hired as the safety director for the city of Cleveland. Um, So, a lot of us know about Elliot Ness and his famous arrest of Al Capone and using the untouchables to help ferret out prohibition lawbreakers in the 20s ultimately culminating in Al Capone's arrest in 1929. But not a lot of people know what happens after, right? He's this famous, in a way, a G-man, because even though he worked for the alcohol or for the prohibition unit, he was still a federal agent, right? Um, I I just want to say, I don't think that you need to know more about him afterwards because that's pretty cool stuff. It is like, that's cool more than stuff. a lot of people would have accomplished in their lives. And the fact that he like went on and did more stuff, cool. Right? And <laughs> what what you'd find out if you dig deeper into the more stuff is he's pretty cool, but not in the way you'd want him, maybe. Oh. I know. It's sad, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so after the Capone arrest and also then quickly following the elimination of Prohibition, the members of the Prohibition Bureau found their jobs more and more obsolete, 
including Elliot Ness. Um, ultimately, the Prohibition Bureau got reorganized into the Alcohol Beverage Unit, um, and agents that were kept on were sent off to various places um, looking for illegal stills now. So it became more of a tax thing. People are, like, alcohol is not illegal, but they're making alcohol and not giving a share to the government. Yeah, making sure everybody's got their license. Are they Basically, yeah. Like the ATF then? Did they become the ATF? I honestly don't know, but that Alcohol, makes sense. Tobacco and fire. Or DEA. Yeah. Oh yeah. What does DEA stand well, for? Well, Drug Enforcement Agency. Oh, okay. And that's yeah. I think the DEA is more for like your federally regulated drugs and also your um illegal drugs like alcohol you can buy it and sell it legally so it's making small, it isn't yes. necessarily illegal having it isn't illegal it's selling it without a, giving money to the government right, is illegal yeah exactly and then they legalized marijuana and they created this whole other yeah marijuana enforcement division well fun fact <laughs> about marijuana uh-huh. and all of my readings about like the drug use and the sinners of society it's all about weed the only drug they ever mentioned was pot. Hell yeah. <laughs> like, the devil's, devil's weed. lettuce. There are like even quotes from different police officers and, and stuff to the effect of like, well, he was addicted to marijuana, which caused him to hallucinate. It's that whole they were like, selling marijuana madness. As like diet pills. I know. In the 30s. Like, yeah. This is the time you had when, cocaine like, in Coca Cola. Yeah. Not, not right? long before this, they actually had cocaine in Coca Cola. Laudanum was a f- very common um sedative mm-hmm. like not yeah. many years before this like yeah for real anyway so <laughs> but fuck weed man that shit will make you crazy <laughs> well we're a living proof of that that's just, right come to colorado not want to do laundry <laughs> i know what's the worst weed makes you do like not do the shit you're supposed to do um, that's the worst. i don't do dishes yeah. for three I, days i was gonna mop <laughs> my floor but then i got high exactly da, 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 i was da. not gonna eat this whole bag of sour gummy worms <laughs> but then i got then high, I got high. <laughs> um so with all of this change uh ness actually was became part of the alcohol beverage unit and was transferred to cleveland in the or as an alcohol tax agent was kind of his role. Um, and he was assigned to finding those illegal stills, primarily in what was known as the Moonshine Mountains down in like Tennessee. And what's the other one that's below Ohio, Indiana, something like that? Is it Indiana above Kentucky? Ohio? Kentucky. Kentucky. Yeah. There yeah. you go, Kentucky. Thanks, yeah. Say. How yeah. serendipitous. Sure. That's all, only because my story took place in Kentucky. It so. was all about serendipity. And it was about serendipity and synchronicities and stuff. Yeah. Well, Mine's not. Okay. But it, <laughs> it's about it, murder. Just a, mine is about pure evil. Pretty oh. much, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so he was assigned to finding those illegal stills in the Moonshine Mountains where they were producing moonshine. Uh-huh. Or as I like it when it's called White Lightning. White Lightning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, so he spent a few years in the early 30s in the alcohol uh, beverage unit. Um, and then in 1935, a new mayor of Cleveland was elected and offered Elliot Ness the position of safety director for the city of Cleveland, which Ness accepted. Um, so safety director was a role that oversaw basically keeping the city safe. So they oversaw police and fire department. 
um, looking at how that's all run. And at this time, part of the reason that the new mayor appointed a new safety director was because there was a lot of corruption in the police department, including at the safety director level under the pre- and including at the mayoral level on in the previous administration. Um, so Ness's first priority, Ness was known as a law and order man. Like if you look back through his case with Al Capone, you can see that like he has no no truck for shenanigans like yeah. law and order. We do things by the book. We treat people fairly and crime is crime no matter what level the crime is at. He was dun, even dun, dun, like dun, even in his dun. childhood, people said that like his mom said that about him and like friends and stuff were like he was always about doing the right thing. Yep. No matter what the circumstances were. Yep. And and even at a young age, admired his brother-in-law, um, who was an FBI agent and aspired yeah. to be an FBI agent. However, when he first applied, he did not get accepted and then ended up in the prohibition unit. Back in Cleveland in 1935, um, the department was saturated with dirty cops who took bribes from illegal establishments like gambling dens, bookie joints, um, and used excessive force constantly, even on innocent people. They just kind of assumed people were doing the wrong thing all the time. And some of them even were involved in those illegal businesses beyond bribes and helping to run them and support them as well. I've been watching The Shield. I don't know if I've told you guys about that, but yes. it totally makes me think of that where Vic Mackey, who's like the lead of the strike squad or whatever yeah. it's called, has got his hands in here. He's like, we'll turn our head to your little business here uh-huh. if you and we'll take care of these guys over here. Um, that's your competition. So we get our bust and we look like we're being good cops, but then you give us a little extra on the side yep. to make sure you can keep, you know, shit like that. Yep. There were multiple higher up um, police officers that had way more in their bank accounts than was yeah. feasible for a police officer on their salary. Yeah. And this created an environment in Cleveland where police were looked as someone to fear whether you did something bad or not. You steered clear of police. Um, and it also fostered an environment that um, produced many gangs. Like it had fostered this environment of the police are corrupt. We've got to protect ourselves. But then that becomes a gang mentality. And so you have all these different gangs well, fighting and, against each other. And this was in the Depression, too. Yes. So there's like a ton of freaking poor people, a ton of people that are living like in shanty towns and stuff. Yep. And that kind of living environment and that excessive poverty and stuff kind of breeds, I think, the creation of like gangs it's, and stuff. It's and then it also inca- it causes the police to be maybe a little harder. Uh, because it's such a big systemic problem that's hard for them to fight and they don't know how. Also, this was a different time when it was like police were to be feared. Absolutely. Yep. And you know. I don't know how different now? that is. <laughs> well, and okay. moving back to 1935. And that was one of big, Ness's biggest things was cops were there to help, not to be feared. Um, and like and like Salem said, like it was depression. People, it was this idea of survival, and the gangs were born out of survival because now you have a dedicated group of people who will help you no matter what. You guys are going to survive together. You're going to take yeah. care of your own. But then that also breeds the environment where they have to fight for everything. So each gang is fighting for the same stuff, and so now they're fighting against each other, right? 
Um, Ness was also really big on the on rehabilitating and redefining juveniles in Cleveland. So there was a lot of juvenile crime. And he believed that what needed to happen was more involvement from the police in the community to help nurture these kids who maybe don't have that out anywhere else before they become criminals, so to speak. He also was very big on forgiving juveniles uh, who had made a mistake, who had committed a crime, whatever it was, because they were kids and giving them a second chance after minimal um, time served, so to speak. He didn't necessarily believe in putting juveniles in like juvenile detention centers. He hated those, but working with them to rehabilitate them. Um, otherwise, there was even a story. I didn't write this one down, so I got to remember from memory, but there was even a story where um, there was a man in Cleveland who, like 20 years ago, when he was a teenager, had murdered someone and he was put into like a juvenile detention center and escaped. Since he escaped, he'd moved to Cleveland. He was a good, upstanding citizen. He was married with kids, living a very good life, decent life. But when I think it was like Memphis where his uh, I could be totally wrong, guys, but. Um, where he where he was uh, housed, they found out he was in Cleveland and wanted them to arrest him and bring him back. And Elliot Ness refused. He said he it's 20 years later. He's living a good life. And he has, you know. Not, I guess, repented, if I want to sound really religious, he repented for the crime that he committed before. He's and, been rehabilitated. And he was also a kid. And yeah. Ness was like. He shouldn't still be punished for that. Yeah. Yeah, I think overall, Elliot Ness was a pretty decent guy. Yeah. Yeah. He was he was kind of hot for Al Capone he, there for a while. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Well, but, he was very determined and very much believed everything he believed and thought everybody else should, too. Yeah. So our main story isn't so much to do with Ness, but it occurred during Elliot Ness's time as safety director in Cleveland when a murderer began terrorizing the slums of Cleveland. So there are a lot of victims out there that people think are part of this mad butcher's victim list, but we're going to start with, we're going to talk about the official ones, the ones that have officially been attributed to the mad butcher, except for the first one. Because the first one's just <laughs> too hard to ignore. Um, so the very first victim on September 5th, 1934, body of a young woman washed up on the shores of Lake Erie. Now, when I say body, what I really mean is body parts. So what washed up on the shore that day were the rib cage and the spine of a female. Now, the upper torso that washed up was void of head, a.k.a. decapitated. Yeah. <laughs> void of head. That's like the strangest way to just say like That's a, a torso. Medical ass <laughs> shit. I thought it was pretty torso. cool. <laughs> it is kind of cool. I thought it was pretty cool to say it that way, but thank you, Hannah, <laughs> for bringing me back to reality. No. <laughs> 
After the upper torso was discovered, the police began receiving all sorts of reports of various body parts being seen in Lake Erie, from a 14-year-old girl saying she tripped over somebody's legs to another person saying they saw a hand in the lake under the water waving at them, things like that. Um, But ultimately... That's just a mermaid. (laughs) Are mermaids in lakes? I mean, I'm sure Kelpie? you have freshwater fish of course, and you have Jess. seawater fish. So why you wouldn't think- you have a freshwater mermaid and a seawater mermaid? <laughs> because mermaids need a big, vast area to swim free in. Yeah. Those lakes are huge. <laughs> They're yes, great. They are great. Ultimately, officials only ended up finding the upper torso without any arms, the lower torso, including the legs, and an upper arm. Now, the spine between the upper and lower torso was severed uh, very cleanly, and the legs were actually separated at the knee, and they were separated very carefully and precisely. Um, So this suggested that the killer had a knowledge of anatomy. However, the arm, they found the upper arm, not the lower arm, but on that upper arm, they saw evidence of removing the lower arm, and it was removed very crudely with a saw. So that contradicted the very preciseness of the other injuries, which caused the coroner to determine that they had a knowledge of anatomy, but they weren't a skilled surgeon. Okay. Now, the body was also doused in some sort of chemical, which was never determined what it was, but it had caused the flesh on the body to um, turn red and leathery. So they were unable to get, uh, well, one... They didn't have hands. Even if they'd had hands, they wouldn't have been able to get fingerprints. So to this day, this victim has never been identified, but the press dubbed her the Lady of the Lake. Mm, Which mysterious. Like, which I don't know about you guys, but I immediately think King Arthur, and I think that's like a sad name for this woman. Yeah. Because the Lady of the Lake was sad. She was sad. Well, I can't imagine that anybody who ends up as just a torso washed up on any lake shore would not be sad i I mean mean, that's assuming they know what happened after they die and so yeah so maybe it doesn't matter maybe they haunt lake erie now maybe they do maybe if i throw if i throw a sword into the water do you think the lady will jump up and catch it for me maybe yeah (laughs) a sword um so The Lady of the Lake was never officially designated as a victim of the mad butcher of Kingsbury Run. However, it was the first disembodied victim, and it was very similar to the victims we're going to talk about coming up here in a little bit. So most people believe that this was his first victim that was found. I do. Yeah. I do, but... Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Like it's just so similar, right? And it's in, and in the on, same area and everything. Well, and later on they find another body, which I'll talk about it more later, but they find another body in the exact same place where the Lady of the Lake washed mm-hmm. up. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Like because one because why did they why did they dub her not not the a part of the mad butcher? Because his next victim won't show up for another year. Oh, that's and just because so, they're so incompetent. They didn't fall, find all those body pieces in between. I'm sure. No. So the other thing you have to remember, and or a cooling and, off period, and we're going to talk about this later. It's 1934. Criminal forensics 
is is almost nothing. It's pretty much fingerprints. And oftentimes serial killers do have a warming up period. And like yeah. Even a lot of serial killers you look at, like there are multiple serial killers that have had like strings of victims in really close periods and then then nothing for sometimes years. Yeah. Well, and you also have to think if he was putting his first victims in Lake Erie, yeah, you know, some of those might have washed up in Canada and we may not even know which ones did, right? But the fact that there could have been bodies between 1934 and 1935 is out there and very possible that it was never, ever associated because they were working in a time. So in the 1930s, they were still considering each crime its own individual crime. Um, Serial killers were not a mainstream knowledge for police officers. In fact, the most recent one before that was actually a man in Germany who was caught who left after, who was deca- who was killed by guillotine go figure germany in the ni- in 1930 i think it was 1929 or 1930 still decapitated people with a guillotine it's germans it's but um as hell. and <laughs> um but he left a lengthy letter before he was executed giving so much insight into his b- mind and it was only um what was his name ernst I have it in here somewhere, Ernst Gannett or something like that, um, was the first to coin the term uh, serial murderer. Only he did it in German, so I'm going to butcher it here. I'll read it. I've been taking my Duolingo German classes. (laughs) Well, I'm not there yet. I'll say it in German when I get there in my notes. (laughs) I don't know where it is. But yeah, so you have to think like the idea of one person killing multiple people was not even a thought. They examined every incident as its own unique one. Yeah. So, and the only thing that pushed them to examine the mad butcher murders was they were just so gruesome and so similar. Um, But before we get into the other victims and we have a break, if you guys let me get through the victims, I have a break schedule just so you know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It's important to know a little bit about the layout of Cleveland, though. So in Cleveland, there was an area called Kingsbury Run. Um, It was an untamed, rugged area, and an old, ancient, really, river had actually been forced underground, and it created this big gully or ravine through the area. So Kingsbury Run was kind of that ravine-type area, steep slopes going down to it. Um, But there was not a lot of... I can't think of the word I want, like, um, I don't know, making it the place with things and stuff, a community thing, stuff. Like a town? Yeah, it wasn't uh, developed. Developed. Thank you, Hannah. (laughs) And it didn't have an infrastructure, right? It was still part of Cleveland, but it was this kind of um, barren area. So because of that, that's where a lot of the lower class ended up. It also had a railroad depot right in there that had been there since the Civil War. And so it had a lot of transients or what they called tramps and hobos back in 1935. Uh, Tramps and hobos. (laughs) (laughs) So not only was it this kind of lower income, homeless in a lot of cases area, but it had a lot of people coming in on the trains and leaving on the trains. It was filled with garbage heaps um, and little shanties and heavily impacted by the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and this is where the mad butcher made his killing grounds, so to speak. So this is where the majority of the bodies were found was in King's Run. And as we get into it, you'll see that a lot of the victims were transients or prostitutes or people who live on the fringes of society, so that to speak. Most people don't care if they exactly. go missing. Quote, yeah. unquote, less dead. Yeah. Yes. Oh, my God. That was actually specifically in the book that I read. Yeah, that's a term that is used a lot. Yeah. Specifically for, like, serial killers that go after, like, sex workers or the poor less people. Dead, yeah. yeah, the less dead. Because people don't look for them. People don't care about them as much. So they're not as dead as, like, a pretty blonde white woman would be. Right. This brings us to the first official victim of the Mad Butcher. On September 24th, 1935, so about approximately a year later than the Lady of the Lake was found, there were two boys out playing ball in King's Run, lost their ball, went down the steep hill to get it, and stumbled upon a headless body. Yay! So, hooray for kids finding dead bodies. Yeah. Um, the body was only two to three days old. In addition, and in addition to being headless... He was also castrated. Oh, no. So um, the the officers come and they do a thorough search about 30 feet away. They find another decapitated and castrated body that was about three to four weeks old. Um, So it was his stockpile. I know, right? The second body had had a chemical agent on it, similar to the lady in the lake, that caused his skin to become leathery. So they weren't able to get fingerprints from the second body. However, they were able to fingerprint the first body and were able to identify him as Edward Androssi. Now, Edward Androssi was known and considered to not necessarily be slums. I don't know if he was super wealthy, but he was also known to be heavily involved in, well, let's just say pimping. Okay. And, and... In a way, human trafficking. It wasn't called that back then, but it's the same kind of idea. Selling people. So as the way the cops put it, there were a lot of motives for why someone might want to kill him. Yeah. Now they did a thorough sweep and not too far away, they actually found two separate graves, I guess you could call them, that had the heads of each man. Okay. So for these victims, they found the heads, but buried and they found they found it because one of them actually had hair, tufts of hair coming out of the dirt. Oh, yeah. oh so he didn't do a very good job. No, burying. Shallow, especially yeah. with like a head. You don't have to dig that deep I, to bury a head. I find it very interesting. Like, what is the motive behind decapitating them? Then, if you're not, not going to keep, well, are you ready for trophy. the best part? Yeah. Are you ready for the best part? They never found the dick. No, <laughs> no, the the uh, balls. So when you castrate someone, it's just their balls, oh, not their yeah. penis. Well. But their balls were hap- were um, not hidden at all, almost displayed as if he wanted them to be found. So that's Weird. even creepier. Uh, yeah. But here's the best part. So after the coroner examined both bodies, they determined that the cause of death was decapitation. So both <gasps> men were alive Ooh. when he cut their heads off. Never mind, I know the reason now. Yeah, he's... no shit. Because <laughs> he's a sick fuck? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Oh. After that, he appeared to have taken a break because it would be four months before the next body was found. Now, this body has been attributed to him 
Um, but it's got kind of an interesting twist when we start looking at suspects. But on January 26th of 1936, a woman was out walking her dog and she stumbles upon these two baskets with burlap out behind a factory. It smelled weird, so she looked inside. You don't and, do that. <laughs> and thought there and thought it was meat. So she got the local butcher and said, "Hey, is this meat?" And he's and being a, the way it phrased in the book was so funny. Being a butcher, he knew what human meat looked like, and I was like, "Why? Why? <laughs> yeah, why? why? That's a good question." Why? Um, <laughs> but he immediately knew it was human meat and called the authorities. They in that basket were. The body parts, well, several body parts, not all, of Florence Polios, I think, maybe. P-O-L-I-L-L-O-S. Um, that is really weird polio. that they worded it that way in the book. I know, right? But I feel like How it's less it about him knowing extensively what human meat looks like, and but his reasonable deduction. Like. Of knowing what other meat looks know. like. That's yeah. so funny, though. It is a funny way. <laughs> Being a butcher, all butchers know, know what, what human, human meat, meat looks, looks like. like. Why Duh. wouldn't they? Um, Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, so in those baskets that were found or that were discovered, they found her thighs. So just her thighs, her lower, lower torso. So like belly button down kind of thing. And one arm over the next few days of searching, they were able to locate most of her other body parts scattered in a yard nearby, guessing the yard needed mode or they wouldn't have had to oh, search. God. Right. Like. Um, she had been dismembered violently and in the same way the lady of the lake was dismembered. So ah. this is why so many people think the lady of the lake was a victim of the mad butcher. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think too, just like so many well, serial killers, like their first victims are not as calculated. They're more crimes of passion. And then they start to discover, you know, kind of their urges after that. Yeah. So, I don't well, know. and the fact that the lady of the lake had the weird red leather yeah, skin, yeah, and that other victim did. That yeah. makes me think they're connected. John Doe but. one and the Lady of the Lake both had chemical, and I think there's another one that I'll get to that. Had and I also can't it. imagine, like, sh I'm sure there were probably a bunch of murderers running around in the 30s, but I can't imagine that there were an extensive group that s explicitly and like specifically decapitated people. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it yeah. Was, it's well, and what's funny to even me, even just it, a decapitation, like, right. Well, and what's funny to me at this point. And it changes later. But at this point, like, he hasn't dismembered the men, but he's dismembered the women. Yeah. Like, Although he did castrate the men. Yeah. But that, that evolves as well, as we often see with serial killers, right? Yeah. They evolve and find their groove, so to speak. That sounds so Ugh. horrible. <laughs> um, so, and, it, and at this point, it seems that he's targeting the fringes of society, like we talked about, right? Yeah. Prostitutes, this gross disgusting human trafficker guy some random guy that we don't know who he is because we couldn't get his fingerprints right yeah so at this point his victims start becoming found more frequently and there's not a lot known about a lot of them we're going to go through them fairly quickly but this will bring us up not counting the lady of the lake to officially 12 victims attributed to the mad butcher between 19 it doesn't the include man. between 1935 and 1938. So the next one we have was so we go from January of 36 to June of 36 when we find John Doe II, um, or the tattooed man as they called him. When he was discovered, he was about two days two days dead, um, and he was also decapitated while alive. Yeah. 
they did they were able to recover his head and the kind of creepy thing they did with this but in a way kind of genius for the time and the forensics that they had initially they sent out a picture of the head and they invited people to come in the morgue to look at the head to see if they could identify him so it was purely for identification when the head was no longer no longer good to be around humans yeah Yeah, not viewable (laughs) there you go they actually made a plaster mold of his head for people to look at that that plaster mold around the the weirdest most interesting thing they did with it during the time of the mad butcher was when they cleveland was actually doing their big expo to kind of like fire back at the chicago world's fair and they put that cast on display in hopes that the millions of visitors, someone might recognize him. That is smart, though. Nobody recognized him based on bad. his tattoos. That's my they thing. Did not. I keep getting tattoos in the hopes that if I ever go missing and I become unidentifiable, somebody will recognize. Well, and also my in the '30s when tattoos weren't were not as a popular. thing. Yeah, but you also have to think if he was a transient, That's nobody true. in the area nobody really would know who he was. Right. So then we between go from June to only July, and we find John Doe number three. Um, he was dead for two months when they found him. And not only so adding to the decapitated while alive, he was actually dismembered while he was alive. So he's the yes. first male that's shown as dismembered. Oh so far, the two they found together and John Doe number two were castrated and beheaded. But John Doe number two was killed after John Doe number three, based on, you said, you said John Doe number three had been dead for two months. So two months? approximately, yeah. So we June 5th, John Doe number two was dead two days. July 22nd, John Doe number three was dead two months. Yeah. So not too far apart from each other even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's just interesting. The dismembered one was yeah, maybe if, they're ma- if their calculations were correct. Yeah. So then we have John Doe number four in September. He was dead two days. They only ever found half of the body, the upper torso, with no head, and they never found the head. Oh, so he's getting better at hiding his shit. Uh-huh. I wonder if he just kept it. Gross. Ate it. Ew. So (laughs) then we go from September of 1936 to February of 1937 when we have our second or our third female victim, if you count the lady in the lake, but our first unidentified female victim. So we have Jane Doe number one. When she was found, she had been dead for three to four days, and she was found in the same location as the lady of the lake. Her head was also never recovered. Oh, Okay. But then let's throw a wrench in our timeline because our timeline of people being murdered and our timeline of finding them is all crazy. So the next one to be found was in June of 1937, but that body had been dead a year, which is right about the same time as the tattooed man. So he killed a bunch of people, it seems like, right around the same time. Uh Um, So this was a female, Jane Doe number two. This one, um, when it was found, was actually discovered because it had decomposed quite a bit, and somebody saw the skull with a bunch of gold teeth in it. So they saw the the glimmering gold teeth, went over to look, and they found the skull. Nearby, they found uh, many other bones. Um, It was determined that this was a female, and they tried to use the uh, gold teeth, the gold crowns, to identify her. 
The only lead they had was out in Cincinnati, but nothing ever panned out, so she was never identified. Mm. I thought I put this in there, but if I remember correctly, she was also his first and only um, victim who was black. Oh. That's interesting. That is interesting, yeah. Mm -hmm. Usually serial killers normally don't kill outside of their own race. Yeah. Yeah. The next victim that they find is in July of 37, so about a month later. This victim, however, has only been dead for two to three days. So he was still okay. killing at this point. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Um, he actually washed up from the Cuyahoga River, which goes through Cleveland there, and they never found his head. Oh. Okay. Um, then we have a break of finding bodies until April of 1938 when they find Jane Doe number two. So the second unidentified female, the, uh, when they found her lower leg, which was the only thing that they found at the time, she had been dead three to five days. About a month later, there was a thigh found under a bridge that was attributed to her, which sparked a search for more body parts. And they found a burlap sack with the victim's headless torso in it. The torso was cut in half. And the burlap sack also had a thigh and left foot of the victim. They never found the head. And random side note, this was the only victim where they found drugs in their system when they found the body. Um, Then we have Jane Doe 4. The next two are actually found on the same day, but different locations. So we have Jane Doe 4 and John Doe 6 um, found in August of 1938. Uh, Jane Doe 4 had been dead about four to six months. She was decapitated, and they found her head. John Doe 6 had been dead for seven to nine months, and they found his decapitated head in a can. Now, I don't know. That is. I don't know exactly what kind of can. Like a coffee can? I couldn't find more details, but they found it in a can. So... That ends the official list of victims attributed to the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run, a.k.a. the Mad Butcher of Cleveland. Um, (laughs) Cleveland. As you can see, most of his his victims were unidentified. And a lot of that just has to do with forensics in the 30s. Not only did they have to be able to get fingerprints, but then those fingerprints had to be on file and they had to go through every single card. And so if they weren't on file in Cleveland and they were a transient from somewhere else, even if they got fingerprints, they probably aren't going to find anything. Right. So, um, and also many victims were discovered months, one, even a year after they were killed. And back then with the forensic science that they had, at that point, it was too decomposed for them to really learn anything mm-hmm. about yeah. the victim. It also makes me wonder how many victims, if any, that he might have had even before I know, the right? Lady of the Lake without any, you or, know. Or during, yeah. or that just were never found. Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to know which poor city in the area was finding all of these heads washed up on shores of yeah. various lakes and rivers. <laughs> yeah, the ones that weren't found. <laughs> The ones that weren't found in yeah, Cleveland. Yeah. I mean, Lake Erie borders Canada. Like, body parts could have been shown up on Canadian shores, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah some and poor town no in Canada is like, we've got a serial killer and all we're finding I mean, is heads. even in... Yeah, I know. <laughs> heads actually, and heads! Even in the 70s... Where's the rest of the body? When they had knowledge of, like, what serial killers were and started going into the more psychological... Mm-hmm. You know, just like reasoning behind why they do what they do. 
they still weren't communicating with other jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They still weren't having, even today, because, you see it with freaking accidents that happen on the street right? of my apartment complex where one half of the street is owned by one city and the yep. other half of the street is owned by the other city. A stolen car crashed into three different vehicles and yeah. because it jumped the sidewalk, there were six different police officers right? standing out there for an hour pointing at each other like that fucking Spider-Man but- meme. <laughs> but at least they heard about it with the way communication was so limited back then. Yeah, like they weren't even they could talking go, about it. I mean, it. Cincinnati may not have even known what was going on in Cleveland. Yeah. Right? Like But yeah, so that's where I had initially attended to take a break. When we get back, we'll talk about suspects and then other potential victims. Oh, all right. Hell yeah. Yeah, I like your story, Jess. Yeah, it's I know it's pretty awesome. It's pretty gruesome. I didn't get too gory. I was very generic. No, just the whole. <laughs> oh, the whole idea. Think about it. Yeah. You don't oh, have to yeah. go into detail for it to be gruesome. <laughs> yeah. You are pretty hilarious. I just don't want to hit too much of it and then not be able to drive myself home because I have D&D today. Oh, you got to get going. I'll take care of it for you. <laughs> um, all right. So speaking of poop. Let's talk about the suspects in the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run murders. They are a bunch of shit cakes. (laughs) Shit cakes. (laughs) I love it. So ultimately, there actually weren't a lot of suspects. There were two main ones. Um, The first one, which was, in my opinion, the most likely one, um, they started looking into in 1938. The less likely one they did not um, look into until 1939. Um, and we'll get into that because I'm getting ahead of myself from what I thought I wanted to say. <laughs> um, so at this point, you know, Ness was still really focused on rooting out crime. Like I said before, he was a big believer in, you know, one crime leads to another kind of thing. He's like, a Commissioner Gordon, I feel like. I know very little about Batman, but I feel like Commissioner Gordon would be like, uh, <laughs> root out the crime of Gotham City. I don't know. I just kind of thought Commissioner Gordon was a little bit of a pansy, though, and just pawned it all off on Batman. That's kind that's of, I, I don't know anything about Batman, but that's the, the impression that he's I got like there. Batman, then. Elliot, <laughs> he's like, Elliot I don't want to do my job. Elliot Ness actually would insert himself into raids and things like lead them when he probably shouldn't have been. So Mm. he wanted too much (laughs) to be involved. Um, But since he was working on all that, the, he had passed off the murder, uh, the murders to other people of the police department, specifically Lieutenant Peter Merylo, I believe M E R Y L O. And so he was the lead detective on the case. And at one point, he characterized the killer as coldly efficient and as relentless as an executioner when in the mood to kill. So that was the lead detective's take on this murderer. Also, at this time, there was little known about what makes serial killers tick. You know, there had been various... They didn't even really know serial killers existed. I mean, in, in looking it up, you know, I found... serial killers I've never heard of back to like the early 1800s but it wasn't you know especially in the Americas like serial killers weren't really a thing until the 70s well and there was no such thing as like profiling until then Um, although it was starting in other countries I mentioned before the one serial killer they caught in Germany who left that very 
detailed, like manifesto almost that gave so much insight. And that's where they started to get into it. But it took a while before, you know, it'd be the seventies before those theories were really part of the American culture. Yeah. And as I said before, you know, in America at this time, each murder that ever happened was viewed as its own individual case. And the German guy's name that I couldn't remember who coined the serial killer term was Ernst Gennant. Um, He was actually the head of Berlin's homicide squad. And it and in German, it's I am going to butcher this Syrian border. I can't. That was like weird Norse (laughs) accent. (laughs) (laughs) That was a very unique. Well, what's like what does the O with the umlauts? How does that sound? Because it's M umlauts O. It's like uh. Murder. That's weird. Here, Hannah, pronounce it. Mortar. Serian murder. (laughs) That was like very French. (laughs) So you guys get the idea. It's just murder. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Wait, I want to find Google Translate is going to say it for us. Okay. (laughs) While we wait. Yeah, while we wait. And so because of that, and they didn't really know, they had an idea that these murders were connected. And in September of 1936, the coroner actually held what he called a torso clinic, where he brought (laughs) in investigators as well as experts in psychology, anatomy, and forensic science. I mean, that's really cool that he did that. That's cool. It's furthering their whole, like, the the whole um, department and the whole process. But to call it a torso clinic is a little... Yeah, it's kind of fucked. Weird. Serenada. I was close, bitches. Syrian Syrian Mada. All right. Um, So they held this torso clinic and began what I guess you could call a profile. Not really a thing back then, but it's kind of what they did. So they determined that the killer was a man um, that was particularly strong. So with some of the bodies that were found, especially the two found by the boys in the ravine, evidence showed that they were carried down this steep ravine um, to be placed there. So they believed that the man had to be very strong. He didn't drag them or anything like that. He carried them. Well, and just if there were no drugs found in the system, not to say that there wasn't something used that they didn't detect, but if there were no drugs found in the in the victim's systems, yeah. except for that one, and they were supposedly decapitated while they were alive, yeah. that yeah. takes a strong a individual. Just decapitating and dismembering in general Anybody. takes a lot of strength. And especially a man I that mean, would be fighting back another man. You if know? you dismember surgically, though, it's just about That's smart true. cuts and yeah. not strength but, but decapitating to hold, but to hold somebody down while they're still right. alive to do that to them well and we don't know but i would imagine that he had to have some sort of place where he tied them up or maybe that's it them maybe he did yeah, that. yeah especially if there was no like evidence that but even just to do that there. even just right. to do that to like kidnap a grown man right that i don't know how big these men were maybe they weren't very strong but um they're poor maybe they were malnourished but well, um but then, too, you but think still about the number of even like frail women that their fight or flight kicks in and they yeah you know fight off these huge attackers that they have and i don't know like yeah. you think your adrenaline kicks in and i just like, i think it would have to be admiration, a, Belle. I don't know. it would have to be a big person So in addition to believing he was a very strong male, um, they believed that the dismemberment was 
that's what the word I was looking for. I said disembodied before, and I knew it wasn't right. <laughs> that's like a disembodied voice. Right. <laughs> Dismemberment. So okay. if that part stays in and you guys hear it, I want Salem to keep it in unedited, me saying disembodied instead of dismembered. And they'll be like, what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> so they believe the dismemberment was too crude for a trained surgeon and sp- suspected even maybe a hunter or a butcher. It was the butcher who knew what human, human meat looked was. like, right? Whoa. Oddly enough, he was never a suspect. Oh. Um, there was also evidence, uh, there was also no evidence of the victims being killed where the bodies were found. So they believed he had like some sort of laboratory or, you know, uh, institution where he was able to work yeah. on these people. Some, a trailer in the rail yard like Dexter. Yep. He had a kill yep. spot. Uh, he had, what did Dexter call it? His workshop or something oh, like I that? I don't remember. But I he wa- called it something. Yes, I watched all of it. But like, yeah, he had that trailer and it was always covered and in it was. And he had plastic. other places. I think he had to move it at one point or something, yeah. you know. But yeah, your kill spot. I forget, workshop. I forget what he called it. His <laughs> death box. Is that a good I one? I think that works. Kill shop was what I was oh, thinking Oh, I like of. that one too. I think they're both equally His good. Kill shop death box. That's better. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> The best. My new band. <laughs> nice. Um, so there really were only two primary suspects uh, throughout the case. We're going to talk about the lesser one first, even though he was a suspect later than the next one we're going to talk about. So in 1939, Frank Dolezal, D-O-L-E-Z-A-L, Dolezal, was suspected of being the mad butcher. Um, and he actually confessed to murdering Francis polio so that was the the second woman found the one so lady of in the water and then she was the next uh, she was the one in the baskets that she was the butcher one where he's like yeah that's human meat no (laughs) doubt but there was no evidence linking him to any of the murders and unfortunately he hung himself while in jail so they were never really able to find out the truth if he actually did kill her or and if you he know. killed her, it's likely he killed the others too. Right. Yeah. But he never. But it, even but it's possible he killed yeah. just her and not the others. And I it's mean, just a weird yeah. coincidence, right? Yeah. The the biggest suspect, I think, was um actually a Dr. Francis Sweeney. So Sweeney was in a medical unit in World War One, and he was actually part... What is so I'm funny? Sorry, because you were like, Sweeney was in a... And I was like, musical! <laughs> you should have yelled it out! But I didn't anyway, go ahead. I was going to start humming Sweeney Todd. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was the mad barber, and we've got the, the mad, mad butcher. butcher. Was Sweeney Todd mirrored after the mad butcher? No, because he didn't torso anybody. That's the term I'm going to call it. Torso anyone. Torso anybody. Um, Oh, man, that guy just got torsoed. (laughs) No. (laughs) Sorry. sorry. It's a thing. It's gonna. That's what I'm gonna use for really hard hits to the middle in football from now on. (laughs) He just got got torsoed. Different. Different. Um. All right. Now I don't remember where it was. Okay, so Dr. Sweeney uh, was actually part of a medical unit in World War I uh, that handled field amputations. So, oh. yeah. 
So he's a doctor for one, and yep. two, he did field amputations, which may not be as precise as exactly. a surgeon, exactly. like they were saying. Yeah, because they're rushing; they're just trying to save this person's life. After the war, Sweeney actually became an alcoholic, and he suffered from anxiety and depression, which I think would probably be diagnosed as like PTSD yeah. today. Absolutely. And if he had to do like field amputations, man, that's gotta fuck with you. I mean, you have to think. I mean, it's like gross. Um, and in addition, it was reported that Sweeney often experienced hallucinations while he was drunk as well. Uh oh. It's um, that white lightning. <laughs> white lightning. <laughs> so Sweeney was actually interviewed by Elliot Ness, and this is Ness's first real participation in this case. However, when Sweeney was brought in. He was so drunk that they actually had to put him up in a hotel for three days to sober up. Three before, days? Before they could interrogate him. He my had to God. have three whole days that he had to sober up? Oh, my gosh. Now, Sweeney was... <laughs> That's drunk, I have man. never been that drunk because I either throw up or pass out before I get to that Well, point. I'm wondering if he slept for, like, three days. Yeah. I'm sure... Still, I've never been that drunk because I usually throw up because I have such a baby ass well stomach. but i'm sure at least like a day and a half of that was him being wickedly hung over and then withdraws like yeah, probably yeah. being yeah. belligerent wanting more alcohol okay so <laughs> once sweeney was sobered up enough to interrogate they actually ended up having him take two separate polygraph tests which he failed both of them but keep in mind you know still the 1930s there were primitive so to speak lie detectors out there they mostly measured blood pressure or breathing or a combination they're of the still two. not even in a in admissible in they're, court yeah. nowadays so they're more reliable now but they're mostly these days used as kind of an interrogation technique in a way because if somebody passes then they can eliminate them as a suspect and stop pursuing that avenue to focus on other things right well yeah. and all that a lie detector test really tells you by today's standards at least is that the person you're interrogating believes what they're saying right so pathological liars yeah are, I've often wondered... Or uh, people with anxiety. Like. Oh, that's true. <laughs> I've wondered if I could fool a lie detector test. I feel like I could because I'm I just... I have the opposite problem. I'm just psychopathic enough that I believe a lot of the things I say, even though I know they're not true. I don't believe anything that I say. So even though he failed the polygraph test, there was still no evidence linking him to the crime, so the police couldn't... Uh, continued to pursue him or arrest him. They had no e they had no evidence to link anybody to anything. That was the biggest. Uh, so even if they knew somebody did it, they couldn't hold him. Right. Um, so Ness, you know, had to let Sweeney go, but he wasn't done with him. He assigned officers to basically stalk him. So they were tracking all his movements, hoping to catch him trying to kill someone else maybe, and stopping him before he did. But Sweeney did not have the same plans as Elliot Ness did. In fact, he became obsessed with Elliot Ness. Oh. Um, not too long after he was questioned in 1938, he actually committed himself to a mental institution. Um, and while he was in that mental institution, he wrote postcards to several people, but he specifically wrote postcards to Elliot Ness from the mental institution. Um, he bounced around like there were different levels of mental hospitals that he went back and forth between. But 
he never stopped sending postcards to Elliot Ness until he died in 1964. Wow. That's so weird. He was really obsessed. Yeah. Could you imagine being Elliot Ness in that position? (laughs) You like hold like one interview with this guy. Well, and you're also so convinced that he's a serial killer. And now he sends you postcards (laughs) until the day that he dies. Yeah, no Uh shit. That's pretty unnerving. And you can Google them if you want to see. I found a couple examples online of the picture of the actual postcard that was sent. So Ness was still involved in the case after interviewing Sweeney. And Ness, being his law and order self, decided that the only way to either catch the serial killer or stop the killings was to essentially raise Kingsbury Run. And that's raise with a Z, just in case you were unsure. (laughs) And under the pretense that they were looking for this secret laboratory of the killer, they actually forced out all the residents of Kingsbury Run, arresting several of them. And under the pretense that they were going to get them into, like, homes, um, but they actually spent I think it was like two days in jail before they were oh moved God. to different homes, which they where they didn't want to be because there's so many of them said they're so crowded. Mm-hmm. So essentially, these homeless people lost their homes. Mm-hmm. And then to top it all off, he burned it all down. Oh my God. So when I say he raised he Kingsbury Run, he did. did. Yep. So a lot of people interpreted this meaning that Ness didn't truly believe Sweeney was the killer since he was out there. And Sweeney was now in this mental hospital. Another creepy lead came in in December of 1938. So at the time, the chief of police was George Matowitz, and he received a typed letter from someone claiming to be the butcher. Oh, that's funny. I'm so redundant there. The letter was typed. Um, So (laughs) not only was it typed, but it had many spelling errors. But in the 30s, that's like a big deal. I know. Like a typed letter. That's true. That is true. There were many spelling er errors, and it was simply signed with an X. The author claimed to be out in California and giving Cleveland a break from his killings. So his letter started out something like, don't worry, I'm out in California for the summer, so you don't have to worry about me anymore, kind of bullcrap. It also claimed that they were killing people to examine their bodies to advance medical science but the letter did not explain how that was advanced it was very like mocking in a way um we have to learn from them like they're just gerbils in a science lab and oh the things we'll know or something stupid like that like he found something out but he wasn't telling anybody yeah he also provided a location for a victim out in California uh, where he claimed the head was buried. And in his letter, he said, you won't find the rest of it, but the head is here. Um, so Cleveland police got in touch with Los Angeles police. They went out to that site. They did not find a head, but they did find some human bones. Other than that, there was no trace of the butcher in L.A. to... Mm. To solidify, to corroborate, yep. And so to this day, no one has been officially named as the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury Run. Um, In addition to the 12 official bodies, there are several victims that are believed to have been killed by the butcher, including some dismembered bodies that washed up in Pennsylvania. Okay. 
Another interesting thing is that it was discovered that there were two almost victims, I guess you could say, before the lady in the water washed up in sh- on shore in 1934. Um, the main one being of a man named Emil Froneck. So he had he was a transient. He had come into Kingsbury Run and was looking for shoes. He thought, you know, there's got to be someone who will take pity on him and give him some shoes to wear. He knocked on this door of a residence, he thought. A man answered, middle-aged man, sandy hair, um, colorless eyes, as he described them. Um, And that man very generously invited him in and said, I will feed you. I'll give you a meal and made him a steak. So, of course, being, you know, impoverished, a meal... Ate that's, the steak. that's great. Yeah. As he got to the end, he noticed that he was feeling very sick and very dizzy. He mentioned something to the man who he never got his name. And the man said, oh, here, just drink this. And he kept feeling dizzy. And he even at some point made a comment to the man who lived there, like, was there something in my food? And ultimately decided to get out of there before he couldn't anymore yeah um so he got out of there he found a box car and he actually passed out in the box car and didn't wake up for three days oh my god oh, shit. so the three days is kind of common that's in what here. i was just gonna yeah. say the three-day bender and he was actually woken up by some <laughs> other travelers okay um because they thought he was drunk oh when he told them what happened one of the men who woke him up said oh something like that happened to me too only I didn't come to, or only when I came to, there were cuts in my torso. But he was able, but he woke up and was able to get out. So, and he showed the scars to Fronick. Wow. Oh God. So hearing that, the police actually asked Fronick to take them back to where he was. And he took them back to what I guess they didn't know at the time, from what I could tell, was actually Francis Sweeney's... medical office which was next to a mortuary oh where today it's believed that he used the mortuary to to dissect his bodies oh yeah um but there was never a connection made uh with that and there were no other murders after like once sweeney was gone there were no other murders that they know of right um, there have been a couple of murders all the way up until the 50s that some people attribute to him, but not necessarily in the same locations. Because he was locked away, right? In a mental institution? Well, he was or- self-committed, though, so he could get out, let himself out at any time, and he would go to these lower security ones and things like uh, that. Oh, that's true. So he could have gotten out and committed murders. Yeah. So, um, and not only is the Mad Butcher unidentified to this day the majority of his victims are unidentified as well that's sad that's too sad. yeah and that's all i got that was a good story drop, bitches. boom boom that was really good that's <laughs> yeah. the mad butcher and if anybody's curious what happened to elliot ness he wasn't able to solve the case and he kind of lost respect yep. with everybody his reputation tanked and then he got into an, a DUI accident that from what i gather didn't involve anybody else but he tried to cover it up and they found Uh-oh. it out and that's here's your big lawman that shows right? you like how desperate he was at that point 
And he ended up moving, I think, moving out. But then and he, he did other good things. And... He he moved somewhere else and he did other good things. Like He, he just that... had to get away from the criticism, I think. Yeah. I think the criticism, like, he had been elevated at such a young age. Like, when he became the director of uh, safety for the city of Cleveland, he was only 31. Oh, wow. Dang. Yeah. So, and he was not, and he, so he was, and he'd already caught Al Capone. Al, he caught Al Capone when he, Al Capone, <laughs> Al Capone when he was 30, 29 or 30, depends on when his birthday fell. But like, and so I think he just had to get away from the scrutiny and the fall mm-hmm. from grace, so to speak. Like yeah. he was hired as safety director because of his fame for right. law yeah. and order and yeah. And then to not be able to catch this murderer. But yeah, he did and move. And to also burn an well, entire neighborhood to the ground. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> where he that's, really yes. fell. His reputation fell. He made a huge mistake yes. there. Well, and I mean, he kind of did good things later. I know he got divorced, remarried, divorced, and married somebody else. Like he got divorced, remarried his first wife, then got divorced again and married some other lady. He went into a partnership in some paper company with a man that ended oh, up yeah. failing. And he ended up dying penniless. That's right. Uh-huh. He ended up dying penniless um, because he could just never pick things back up because he yep. just he worked for like a security company for a while yeah. and stuff. But yeah, he put all his money in that paper company. That's right. And yeah. lost all of his money. Yeah. I see. Pretty much after he burned Cleveland to the ground. It all went down. He never was able to recover. <laughs> Well, that was a good story, Jess. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Woo. Woo. Anybody have any questions or input? No. We should move on to things that don't suck. Things that don't suck. Things that did don't suck. Did you do that last time? No, no. I didn't. Because we kept calling it happy thoughts. <sighs> oh, yeah, we did. We called it's it been happy so thoughts. long until I did mine, and I said, oh. well, my thing that doesn't you suck. You know what it Dang. is, though? I, I wonder if that started for because that's what I texted Kelly. I called him yeah. happy thoughts on accident. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been so long, we're just not used to it. Who wants to go first? Anybody? Burner Barney. I'll go. You'll go. Yeah. My thing that doesn't suck is how awesome I am at telling stories. So well, you're welcome. <laughs> that yeah. does not suck. <laughs> Your storytelling ability does not suck. It is pretty awesome. Okay. Well, cool. <laughs> the other thing that doesn't <laughs> suck as usual is my teenage daughter, Evie, who is doing all the teenagery things but somehow will still come up and give me a hug in front of people so there you go oh that's really touching i (laughs) she loves you enough to hug you in public i know right (laughs) when she came over when you dropped her off when i was house sitting at grandma and grandpa's we sat in silence for hours and i kept telling her i was like you can turn the tv on if you want like you can do whatever you want because I ended up not doing very much homework because I left my book at home, so <laughs> I couldn't do very much homework. But she just sat there in silence, and I was like, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who else um, has something? You go, Belle. Um, my thing that doesn't suck is my cats. Kyle went to New York without me because I got COVID, and that kind of sucked. But that meant that I got to hang out with the cats, just me and not Kyle. And now I have a bond with Pierre that Kyle's super jealous of. <laughs> That doesn't suck for you. It doesn't suck for me. <laughs> and I love Pierre. I'm worried about how healthy it is that you're so happy you got to hang out with your cats without your husband. <laughs> I get it. The thing that doesn't suck is that I didn't fail any of my classes last semester. Hell yeah. That's awesome. I know That's that I'm really like a good. month into this semester already, but we haven't recorded since I stopped classes. So That's awesome, Banana. 
I mean, Hannah for the podcast. Her name is not Banana. No, it's Banana. <laughs> <laughs> banana. Um, okay, so my thing Bananas that doesn't suck. Now, my thing that doesn't suck, I guess, is maybe that I'm not dizzy all the time. Or maybe my thing that didn't doesn't suck is that I got to be dizzy all the time for a very short period of time. You're so weird. <laughs> I hate being dizzy. I didn't like it. I didn't like it. But I was just talking about when I was a kid how I used to like spin and spin and spin and want to be dizzy all the time. And I used to think it was cool when I would stand up and get high-headed and shit. Oh, and- my God, yes. I used to lay in bed. I don't know if you guys ever did this, but I could make myself feel yeah. like I was spinning when I laid in bed. Just I could do something. I don't know what it was. That's interesting. And I used to love it. Like, oh, I could make it feel like I was spinning. I know I'm weird. But then the first time I felt dizzy when I was drinking, I hated being dizzy after that. Like, that's funny. That's like was like the switch for yeah. me. Now, but my thing that doesn't suck really is just recording again. This is cool. That's awesome. This yeah. has been nice. We've had everybody here today. We all got to get together and have, you know, we ate lunch together and stuff. And that was just really nice. And we're right on time for my poop schedule. And so, we are right on the poop schedule. I just want to know, did I win? Is this one shorter than this morning's? Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. Yes. You did. So that's you another were absolutely, thing that doesn't suck. And you were absolutely way better put together than I was. By far, I was floundering. Well, Hopefully, I, I had can a lot edit of pressure that. about our format and stuff, <laughs> yeah, which I'm... I didn't know we could flout whenever we felt like. <laughs> well, I didn't mean just to. mom because this is her podcast. <laughs> I guess that's I've been, true. I've been dizzy. It's not my fault. It's, it's, <laughs> it's fine, Salem. So no, but I think you did a great job, Jess, and this yeah. was a good story. And it was funny how shocked I was. I was all ready to hear about Al Capone and Elliot Ness. <laughs> That's totally what I thought it was going to be about. And I was like, oh, the torso murder. You're a worse second than I was to I you. was totally shitty. I didn't yeah. send her a lot, though, to be fair. No, she just said, look up Elliot Ness after Al Capone. Oh. And I was like, oh, okay, she's doing a thing on Elliot Ness. <laughs> I know, I'm secretive. You are, even with your second. I know, right? Um, all right, well, we never did plug the podcast, so... Um, hit us up and you can email us at ffsthepodcast at gmail.com. You can send us any story recommendations, any feedback that you might have. You can send us any spooky shit that's happened to you personally and I'll read it on the podcast. Yeah. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Effed up family story time. Family story time. Hit us up. Talk to us. Yeah. Send us a comment. Review you us. You can leave us a review on iTunes because it'll tell the algorithm that we're worth listening to, which you know that, but you guys want other people to know that too, right? Yeah, so exactly. rate us on iTunes. Because so. you all like to share. You're not selfish. So. No, no. Sharing us with other people doesn't take away from you. There's plenty of us to go around. But only on the <laughs> podcast. I don't share myself <laughs> with anybody. Yes, this is purely intellectual. <laughs> and And... Just what we give you on the podcast. You're not allowed to take. (laughs) And on that note. (laughs) All right. We love you guys, but we're only giving what we feel like. That's right. (laughs) We love you, but only so much.